Hey, well, tonight our text, the sermon has been preached pretty much already by a few of those up there. And so we'll just take a few minutes in Matthew chapter 9. So you can turn there and we will open the word together. We will pray and then we will explain and apply the word to our lives together. Matthew chapter 9. Whenever we open the word, the Lord speaks, because these are the words of God. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26 will be the words the Lord speaks to us tonight. While he, Jesus, was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. This girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout the whole region. Let's spend some time in prayer before we dive into this text tonight. Let's pray. Father, tonight we pray for the folks that were baptized. We think of those stories represented. We pray that the scripture that you speak to us will be fulfilled in these lives, that he who begun a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We pray for those who are overcoming addiction, that you would walk them down a pathway towards wholeness and healing. We thank you that you've done healing in their souls and we pray that their life would start to come together as they walk down this path. They desire to walk down a path towards newness of life, of wholeness, of a life moved from being upside down to being right side up again. We pray for these children who come at a young age and recognize their need for Jesus, recognize that they're sinners, whether they're eight years old or 68 years old and Pray that you would give us faith like little children. That the gospel would always be that simple to us, that Jesus died for our sins. For us on the cross, he rose from the grave to give us life. We trust him, we follow him, we walk in his ways. When we stumble, we ask for forgiveness and he cleanses us. And then we get up and we walk with him and for him and towards him until he takes us to be with him and to be perfect with him forever. You've given all of us different stories, different pathways. Some of us have lived that good life and raised in the Christian home and all that. Some of us did not grow up that way. Some of us have been rescued from a hard, hard lifestyle. Some of us are still in it. And some of us have given our lives to you years ago, and yet we keep falling into the same things over and over and over again. And And all of us, when we're honest with ourselves, 
We know that we need your touch. We need your forgiveness. We need your healing. We need your spirit. We need your guidance. We confess there's a way that seems right to us and it always leads to death. And yet you promote a way that leads to life. We pray that we would find it and walk in it and walk with you on that path for the rest of our lives and into eternity. We pray for those in the baptisms and those in this room who were raised in homes that were hard, that by you drawing us to yourself, you would cause a change to be enacted, not just in us, but in our family for generations. For those of us who were raised in abuse and raised in alcoholism and raised in adultery and raised in all these different ways, that as you do a mighty work in us, that you, by your grace and your grace alone, would transform not just us, but our families, our kids, our stepkids, our grandkids, our, <laughs> our extended families, that a legacy would emerge, not because we are great at all, but because you have done a mighty work in our hearts and you want to change that and affect the kingdom of this world for the gospel of your son, Jesus. Sometimes we're so focused in on our lives and its highs and lows that we forget about the world that's hurting around us. We pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts, you would soften to the needs in our community and around the world. We think of the men and the women and children who are fleeing countries and looking for refuge and losing their lives in the process and leaving everything behind. We pray that that we wouldn't be so sheltered in our comfortable existence that we would be able to turn a blind eye to a world that suffers, a world that's crumbling and falling apart, but that you would put opportunities into our path to help, to pray, to be broken for the broken things in this world so that your gospel through us can bring light into dark places. We pray that you would give us the courage to pursue ways to help a neighbor, ways to help refugees, ways to help hurting and mourning people in this world, that we would be a community of men and women and children who rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, that we would bear one another's burdens and we would celebrate with one another. We live in a dark place and your gospel brings light into it and yet let us live in that tension between seeking out light into the darkness and realizing that someday you will come back and, and make the wrongs right. Someday you will wipe the tear ducts out of every eye and there'll be no more need for crying. Someday you will heal us fully, and yet we get glimpses of that when you restore us from addiction. We get glimpses of that when you rescue us from hard living situations. We get glimpses of that when you redeem us and use us to help others. Let us live in the light of the reality that you give us glimpses today, and you call us to pursue your kingdom work, and yet someday you will come back in full. Pray that you would come soon. We thank you that you are a God who is long-suffering and waits to come because you want more people to be transformed. Like Kevin said in his baptism, that 
So many people, if they died today, they would not be with you. And you have given us this season where you're holding back from coming back because you want more people to know your son Jesus and be freed and saved and restored and redeemed and adopted into your kingdom. You want to turn your enemies into your subjects, your enemies into your friends, your enemies into your sons and daughters, and you want to use us to herald and to proclaim and to bring the light of that gospel and the power of that gospel into a world that needs Jesus. We pray that we would. Pray that when you do come back, we would not be caught watching TV while our neighbors perish. that the redemption that you do in our hearts would explode out of us into the way that we live, the choices we make, the words that we say, the relationships we engage in, the habits we drop, and the boundaries we cross. We pray that we would be a people who look and sound and smell like Jesus so that the world around us would see him when they see us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We all have different paths. Some of us, we have a crisis in our lives, and we realize in that moment we need Jesus. Some of us have long seasons of hardship where we wish that he would come and help us. And the beauty of this passage of scripture is that we get a glimpse of, of two women who experience suffering in a totally different way. We see that there's a young girl who's 12 years old who falls sick and ill and then dies suddenly and her father is running to Jesus at first to get to him before his daughter dies to say, come and help my daughter and and for him, when he finds out his daughter is dead, it's like the grief hits him. In an instant, he was fine before, and now his world is upside down. And yet as Jesus and this man are walking to bring healing to this dead girl, another woman comes into the scene. A woman who's been suffering for 12 years. The 12 years that this little girl has been playing and growing up and going to school and being the joy for her mother and her father, this woman who comes to approach Jesus has been struggling and suffering for that same amount of time. 12 years where she's just been hemorrhaging, bleeding, and it's been unstoppable and makes her unclean so she can't connect with community. She has to be different from everyone else and just suffer and wonder, is God against me? What is he doing in my life? She has this long period of suffering. One girl has 12 great years and then dies at 12 years old. Another woman has 12 years of intense suffering and both of them totally different lives. Yet both of them desperately need Jesus. When you look at the Old Testament, you, you see a God who is inapproachable, right? Some people, maybe you've got friends who say, how come the Old Testament God and the New Testament God seem so different? Right? The Old Testament God just seems like he's full of wrath and he's big and he's scary and he's... When he sets up a camp on earth, he tells people things like, don't come near me or you'll die. 
He goes to talk to Moses on the mountain and he tells Moses, keep the people away from the mountain because if they touch the mountain, they will perish instantly because God is holy and scary and dwells in inapproachable light. He is so magnificent that you will just turn to dust if you get near him. And so we read the Old Testament and think, God is big and scary. And then Jesus is God who puts on flesh and dwells amongst us and we get to see in Jesus that there, there are not two different gods. It's not that the God of the Old Testament is mean and Jesus happens to be nice, right? He's our buddy. But it's that same God that when that God adds to his divinity humanity and he doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he steps onto this earth and walks to serve people, we get to see the heart of the Father who wants to rescue us, who wants to cleanse us, who doesn't want to smite us. He wants to bring us into his kingdom. And Jesus is still holy. He's still pure, and yet he's no longer all-powerful, right? In that sense, in that scary sense, he has set that aside to come and dwell with his people and show them what God is like, what the heart of God God is like. And when this woman who'd been suffering for 12 years, and when the father of this daughter who had been, after 12 years of life, just struck down so quickly, they hear of Jesus, they think, I, I need to get near that guy. If you've ever been a time of suffering, you kind of hit your knees and you go into your room and you lock the door and you say, God, where are you? I need you. If you were here, you could help me. These people saw God walking around their city and they thought, he can help me, right? And you hear that come out in their requests. The man with the daughter who had just died, he comes and says, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. If you just touch her, if your body touches her body, your power will heal her. And as Jesus is walking, the woman who's been suffering and bleeding for 12 years, she sees him and the sentiment is the same. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. I just get to him. If I could just touch him, if I could just touch his clothes, his power is so beautiful, it can transform me and change me and clean me and make me whole. They just knew that if God can just touch me, I will be Safe and saved and clean and whole and back together again. My dead daughter will be my living daughter. My issue that has caused me to be alienated will be gone and I can be reconnected with my community if Jesus Christ just touches me. Just touches me. Some of us have prayed like that. God, just touch me, right? Heal my body, right? Going into a surgery, God, just touch my body. If, if you could just touch me, I'd be better. Jesus, if you were just here on this earth, you could fix this issue I'm having, but you're up there in heaven and you seem so intangible. If I could just grab you and hold you, if you could just come for a moment and I can see you, then I can be healed. And we feel like these people, all I need is to physically touch Jesus because there's power in Jesus. The funny thing is, as this woman does touch Jesus' clothes, she's healed, right? It's almost like he's this Tesla coil that when you get near him, just zoom, and your life gets better. And it'd be really easy for both of these people to think that the power of God is localized in Jesus Christ. That if Jesus touches you, you're healed. But if you can't get touched by him, sorry. That's why I think when Jesus was walking through this crowded marketplace and this woman comes and just touches his clothes and she finds healing, he feels power coming out of him, he stops and he says, who touched me? Right? His disciples are like, are you serious? Like there's like a thousand people here. Who, how do you know someone touched you? She touched the edge of his clothes and, and he finds this woman and he clarifies for her 
My robe did not heal you. My body did not heal you. Like the reason that you just got cleansed from this issue you've been suffering for 12 years, it's not because I have magic clothes. It's not because my physical touch brings healing. That's not the primary reason. Let me tell you what caused your healing to happen. And he turns to this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and stopped. Says in verse 22, Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. You see the heart of Jesus. You know, this man who comes to Jesus says, my daughter is dead. You can feel the broken heartedness of a father whose 12-year-old girl had just passed away. Yet Jesus feels that same broken heartedness for his 38-year-old daughter, whoever old this woman was, when he turns to her and says, my daughter, take heart. Your faith has healed you. We can't know for sure why Jesus chose to turn and stop and speak to this woman, but it seems like he's trying to clarify a very important point that, yes, Jesus Christ is the source of healing. He is the source of power. He is the God of the universe who created all things. He is the one who brings all healing. If you are saved from addiction, if you're saved from a broken home, if you're saved from a life of morality, if you're saved from anything, Jesus is the one who saves you. He's the one who did it. He's the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. He's the one who spoke the universe into existence. Yes, Jesus Christ is all-powerful, and in him is life and power, but our healing does not come by touching him. That's not how our healing works. The conduit he uses, right, the hose he uses to bring the glory and the grace that brings healing into our lives is faith. The fact that this woman was healed was not because she just grabbed his garment, right? The reason she was healed is because her faith grabbed onto Jesus. And the reason that's important is because you can't touch Jesus. So often we wonder, God, if you were just here, you could fix it. Jesus says, listen, the thing that causes my power to come into your life is not something that I need to be physically here for you to get. You need wisdom, You can sit around and wait for Jesus to show up, and then you can ask him face to face. But James says, no, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you. But you need to ask with faith that we turn towards God, and we trust in him, and we lean into him. And that is the conduit upon which his grace pours out into our lives. That if you are lost, and you are drowning, and you are out, and your life is falling apart, you don't need God to physically grab you. You need to turn your heart in faith towards him and say, God, help me. God, I'm sinning, and I need you to rescue me. God, I'm mourning, and I don't know how to get out of this. If you're not a believer in Jesus, there's a chance that you're kind of stumbling around this world trying to figure out how you're supposed to live to get favor with God. What do I need to do to get God to like me? What do I need to do to turn my circumstances upside down? What do I need to do to atone for my sin? What do I need to do to get God to forgive me? And Jesus says, if you want healing, your faith will heal you. God is the source of forgiveness, the source of grace, the source of mercy, the source of his glory, the source of his healing. But what we turn towards him with is, is not our good lives because we don't have good lives. Not our good works, not finding a way to physically touch him, not going to church, right? The way that God will work in your life is when you give your faith to him. 
when you lean into him, like so many people in the baptism tonight say, yeah, Jesus, he's my only hope, 100%. Jesus Christ, I trusted him for salvation. And what that means is that I am not looking for any other way to heaven except Jesus. I am all in with Jesus. My faith is in him. My trust is in him. Right? If Jesus is not the way to heaven, I am going to hell because all of my cards are in the Jesus pile. Right? It's a faith. This woman, 12 years of suffering, she, she just is so tunnel-focused on Jesus. In her mind, all I have to do is touch his clothes. If I could just get to him. Now, she's wrong. She didn't need to touch his clothes. But where she was right was she needed him. And that's what faith is. And she just said, that's what I need. I need him. He is my only hope for healing. In the same way, the synagogue leader, someone who is important in the Jewish community, who probably would have to cross a lot of awkward social boundaries to go hang out with Jesus, right? His daughter is sick and she's near death and he thinks, okay, I don't care what this costs me in my community. I don't care what people say. Jesus is the only way my daughter is going to get better. I need him. That's faith. He leans into Jesus. He runs to Jesus. And even when he finds out your daughter actually died, Jesus is like, you've hitched your faith to the right wagon. Keep walking. And Jesus walks into that room. He kicks out the mourners and says, this is not time for a funeral. She's just sleeping up there. And they laugh. And then he wakes her up from the dead and returns her to her father. She is saved because her father exerts Faith in Jesus. Is your faith in Jesus? And if you're wrestling with the whole what's going to happen when I die question, what's your answer? Is it because Jesus, I, I trust Jesus, I put my whole life on Jesus, or is it, well, I'm just going to go to church and hope it works out? That's not faith. That's going to church. That's work. That's not faith. Faith is leaning into Jesus, trusting into Jesus, gazing intently on Jesus. What does the author of Hebrews say? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Tonight, as we close this session or this section of the service with communion, that's what communion is. Communion is a reminder, a tangible reminder that we as Christian people rely on Jesus for life. We take this bread, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, passed to his disciples, and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Eat this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. And he took the cup of wine, and he passed it around and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul tells us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until, we, until he comes. We realize in this moment that what gives us life is Jesus. We're so tempted to believe that we're alive because we ate breakfast and lunch and dinner for the last 21 days, right? But uh, you're alive because Jesus. In the same way, you're tempted to think that you're going to get to heaven because you do this or that or this or that. But no, no, no. We get to heaven because Jesus. And until he comes back, we're not going to go about doing things to get God to like us. We're going to keep coming to this table and eating this bread and drinking this cup and saying, Jesus, you in me is my only hope. I need you. 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 That's faith. Communion is a way where we tangibly exercise our faith and remind ourselves that Jesus died on the cross and that was important. 
Because when we tried to live for God, we failed. Yet he died for our sins. He rose to new life. And he says, you need me in you. So take this bread, take this cup, ingest it. And realize that I am the source of life and me alone. Tonight, if you have that faith, that Jesus is the only source of life, here and eternally, communion is for you. It's a time for you to come forward and to remember that. Come forward and celebrate that. Come forward and proclaim that by saying, I don't care if the people who came with me think I'm weird, but Jesus is my only hope for eternal life and life on this planet as well. And tonight, if you are not a believer, if you say, you know what, I, I'm not trusting in Jesus. i got to put my cards in a lot of other baskets. My prayer for you is that you would realize that that's not faith. And there's no such way to hedge your bets in terms of eternal life. It's Jesus and nothing else. Or it's nothing else. If you're not a believer, this communion table is not for you. It's for people who lean into Christ as their only hope. And so maybe tonight, abstaining from communion is a reminder to you that you don't have faith in him just yet. Yet my encouragement for you would be that God would draw you to himself so that you might lean into him. And by taking communion, that would be a significant moment in your life where you say, okay, it's Jesus and only Jesus from here on out. And before you step into that, maybe it'd be good for you to talk to somebody and pray with them and say, okay, is this what this means? And we can talk through those things. But we'll be around here tonight to talk to you if you want to talk about it. But if you are a believer, let's receive communion together in a moment. Let me pray for us and we will sing and we will eat. We will celebrate and we will remember and we will proclaim that Jesus is the source of life.